there's a place for you on the internet and the internet is so magical. My purpose here is to let people know that they can just build the life of their dreams the moment they decide they want to change. Hello and welcome to this episode of Confessions of a B2B Marketer. And today we have a massive episode. We're bringing on Lara Acosta, who you may have seen on LinkedIn. She has, I think at this moment, about 110,000 followers. She is crushing it. So I had to bring Lara on to understand her LinkedIn game. She's also a deep expert in personal branding. So we dig into Lara's story, how she has blown up on LinkedIn, the theory behind the creator movement, and then also her thoughts on building a personal brand. Of course, before we jump in, we need to give a quick shout out to Fame. They are the company that produce this show. They also do social and email work. So if you're interested in any of that, please go to fame.so, request a proposal. Say that you heard about Fame from Confessions of a B2B Marketer, and I'll make sure we look after you. It's also my company, by the way. So let's jump into that discussion with Lara now. Lara, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I love your story for a few reasons. The primary one is because how much you can deadlift. <laughs> right now, how much are we talking? 145 kilos. Fucking serious. And I weigh 52 kilos. So it's like Nearly three times. And is that like your peak or you've done more? Yeah, that's my peak, yeah. And 145. I've never done that in my life. Really? And I weigh a bit more than you. <laughs> so that's awesome. But there's other things that you've got good at as well that we're going to go into. Writing personal branding, LinkedIn, soon to be YouTube, but we'll get to that. Okay. My first question is maybe a weird one. Would you describe yourself as a creator? I will. Yeah, always. I'm a creator first, entrepreneur second, I think. Interesting. And why would you say that? Because I've always loved creating content since I was a very like young girl. And then the entrepreneurship part just came as a result of mm. creation. But if someone told me to choose between entrepreneurship and creating, I would always go for creator. I love, like, you see me creating content on LinkedIn, Twitter, now YouTube, and I, that is my bread and butter. And then as a result, I become an entrepreneur because I've been able to monetize what you I You got did. so good, then you have to do this other stuff. Yeah, and then people started asking me if I could do it for them, and then it just became a business. But it, it all started because I was creating. Like the Twitter account you had when you were 13. <laughs> Yeah, good research. Tell us about this. Ever since I was a little girl, I just knew I wanted to be on the internet. I got my first laptop when I was like five. I was in computer lessons since I was very young. My parents were very adamant of teaching me the internet. Since I was like, as soon as it came out, they were like, she needs to go on and learn computer science and stuff. And I went and I did it and I uh, found Twitter, YouTube, everything. And like what age was this? Like 13? Very like 13 was one when I first started my accounts on social media. But it was even before that I was watching YouTube and I was downloading illegal music and videos and films from like LimeWire and all of those. You remember that? Yeah, yeah. I think I'm a bit older than you. <laughs> and I was downloading like all the illegal stuff and like, getting viruses on my computer all the time. But I just always found the internet so fascinating. So I'm like obsessed with that. And so I want to dig into this creator thing. Why do you feel like this is you? Is it just because you have this like audience of people and then you think about stuff and then you produce some content and they love it. You just really enjoy that process. Yeah. Just the idea of creating something out of your head and then having people like it and then like exploring your sort of curiosity from that and being like, okay, I like this concept. I'm going to recreate it. I'm going to 
put my face in it and then people react to it and like it and then you can keep on creating something you love and then you create a community that loves it as well just from your own head and it's sort of like I'm an only child so I feel like the need for a community has always been very big for me because I didn't have any siblings to share okay. anything with so the internet became my safe place to just create and explore things and because I was always sort of the odd one out. I was just like, my parents were very different. They were, they're Buddhists, vegans, Mexicans. And I was just like the weird kid at school. I was the only like girl with my skin color as well. So I was very different. My dad was always pushing me to be myself. And at school, you're not really meant to fully be yourself. You're meant to like be in a mold. And my dad really pushed me to be just be me. And people hated that. But in the internet, people just really enjoyed that. Yeah. So that's really it. And so then you had this conflict because you became the creator and then all these people were like enjoying everything you're doing. And then that to, I guess, sustain it or to grow it, you need the entrepreneurship part as well. So now you're essentially doing two jobs, right? So you have to, I guess, work out how you can split your time and do those both well. Like, How do you manage the balance? I don't. There is absolutely the idea of balance to me is non-existent. So you just do it all. I just do it all as much as I can, as hard as I can, as for as long as I can. But um, balance doesn't really exist. It's just more like synergy or uh, some sort of collaboration between both. But balance just doesn't happen. It's either hard mode or I'm resting, or like hard again or resting. When you're a creator and entrepreneur. Both of them are incredibly important. One of them brings you the leads and then one of them provides you with the idea of like how you're going to get them and retain them and then scale them. So you need both. And they're both incredibly different jobs. Like one is building a business and one of them is creating the business. And it's like, okay. And when I was introduced to this whole entire world, I was like, okay, this is just so crazy. Like systems, SOPs, Excel sheets, Trello, Zoom, Calendly, Otta, like all these extensions that I had no idea about. And I was like, I just want to write content and that's it. Can I just do that? And it's not. <laughs> but I'm trying. You're managing it. Where do you think like the obsessiveness comes from? Like you obviously with the way it's like got really good at that. And then now you're getting really good at the entrepreneurship stuff or the creating stuff you're already good at. Why do you think 95% of people would take a day off or take the weekend off, whereas you wouldn't? It comes from challenge. Every single thing I've ever started comes from me having a massive chip on my shoulder. Why? Because you're the only, only child? No, just because like I'll see someone doing something better than me with less experience than me and I'll be like, why are you doing that? And I'm not me. So like I'd see someone doing a deadlift and I'll be like, I could do that. And then I'm not doing it. And I'm like, okay, I need to get good at this. And I just like fully immerse myself into the whole thing. And then it happened the same thing with entrepreneurship. I just saw someone doing, with less experience than me, doing better than me with absolutely no other reason than the fact that they just went and did it. And I was like, okay, this is my sign that I have to do it because I had all the experience, I had all the knowledge, but I just wasn't taking action. And that was like a big kicking the ass for me. Mm -hmm. And for powerlifting, it was how empowering the sport was. It was, I got into it because of desperation of changing my body. I was a little bit chubby. I was kind of like not happy with my weight. I didn't like how I looked like. And then I got introduced to powerlifting and it made me so confident. The confidence I have now wasn't always that. I was like, I was very insecure when I was a child. And the confidence deadlifting double my body weight, triple my body weight brings you is just 
incomparable to anything. And the ability of being able to change your body and from like fat to thin, like overweight to shredded, it's just like an insane transformation that just carries you through your life, whatever else, like, you know, you can do it. If you change your body, you can change anything else. So you have like the confidence or the belief that if you've done it in one area, you could... Yeah, like there's nothing harder than changing your body. Like who wants to eat the same thing for like an incredibly insane amount of long weeks and even years sometimes. Track your calories, track your salt intake. If you're a powerlifter or like a bodybuilder, like yeah. When I was on season competing, I would track my salt intake. I would track my water intake. I would track how much of X, Y, and Z I was taking, like micronutrients, not just macros. So being able to do all that, to see minimal results after six months, everything else in business is just like a walk in the park. Because I've been like, I know what it's like to wait for something to happen. Like compounding effort is so important. How do you think you'd be different if you had brothers and sisters? (laughs) I'd be less of a drama queen and like less of a princess. I think I'd probably still be the same. Be the same. Yeah. Okay, let's put on the weightlifting thread. So I think that to me, it seems like the big learning, which is you've achieved this in one area and so you have the belief to do it in the others. Was there anything else you learned that is, say, helping you in business now? From lifting? Yeah. Oh, so much. I always say that the gym has always been my biggest classroom because it's taught me discipline to wake up and do the exact same thing over and over again and then to treat the gym with respect at a powerlift. I went to this gym called Embassy Performance in Birmingham And the way they respected the sport was so, I don't know, almost like majestic at times because it was like, please be nice to everyone at the gym. Please be kind. Please be supportive. They would encourage that community feel. And now I I literally do that for a living. Like I build communities. I, uh, I talk to people all the time. I support people all the time. And that natural just for me to do it naturally now comes from the lessons that my coach taught me at the gym and it's like be kind put your weights back in or we say thank mm-hmm. you we had to clean the racks like with when you lift up like a bar you have chalk and we had to clean it ourselves like there was like the cleanest weather but like you do it out of respect so now in business I am very respectful and kind just because that's what I was taught at the gym which is really cool yeah so that's not necessarily from weightlifting but like the whole experience you picked up this learning from this specific gym that now you can apply. Into. Yeah, MSC performance is the best one, but I'm not like, so you know. I really, haven't, I haven't been there. Well, I actually haven't been to that many. Places. Yeah, I think the powerlifting community is incredibly powerful and so supportive. It was very, very small when I first started powerlifting in 2018, and it was just so niche, and everybody knew each other. Everybody was supporting each other, and it's just a true, real life community of people supporting each other online and offline. And whenever I'd see everyone at competitions, everybody knew each other. Everybody would literally shout for each other, like when they were like going for a PR, like on stage. And it's crazy because powerlifting competitions are literally like seven hours long. They're like the longest thing, like so useless. Like you see people do nine lifts for like seven hours and then that's it. Literally nothing else happened. There's nothing and just like up and down, up and down and that's it. But people still go to support their friends because the, the environment is so intense and so filled with joy and just like courage. Mm-hmm. It just uplifts you. Do you track LinkedIn metrics like you used to track your macros? No. 
No. Is, is that not like a learning from power? The macros were like my peak. I'm never looking at analytics ever again. Really? No, I, I barely look at analytics. I'm really good. Like I'm really, really bad at it. And how do you know what's working? I don't. I just keep on doing. I just look at the likes and I'm like, okay, that kind of works. Yeah, you're Try like again. Yeah, I don't look at impressions as much. Like I would look at them, but I'll be like, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're going to get to that later. I want to talk about writing. Okay. Because I feel like you're pretty awesome at writing. Thank you. And I want to know how you got good. I don't know. <laughs> I really don't know how it happened. I think it's a combination of me being in social media for so long. Since you were doing the Twitter account. Since even beforehand. I've been living on the internet since the first memory I've ever had. And as I said, the internet has always been like my safe place. So I've just created so many stories in my head that I think I just became a really good storyteller just because I just delusional was fucking uh, <laughs> tell different stories to myself of what my life could be like if I was like this or like if I had brothers or sisters or like my life was different and I I was normal like all the other kids this is what I would be like and maybe I'll be like a popular girl like the most interesting girl in the world and I'd be like having all these friends and in my head that's like the rhetoric I would have when you are consistently, I don't know, bullied at school, you just create this like safe space in your head where you're like just living your own world. And that was like my own safety net. And then with writing, it was an exploration of that, like my storytelling. And then a lot of just rasping what worked quickly from the Twitter account that I had, I understood emotions quite quickly, even though I didn't know what the fuck would that meant. It became intuitive just because that worked, that didn't. Okay, let's do more of what's working. And then intuitively, I just became very aware of it. And then I just forgot because I forgot about the Twitter account and all of that. And then when I came back to content creation, I just found it really easy to understand. But I, I never read a copywriting book fully. Yeah, I was going to say, no like training courses or... No. A book. I've taken like a few social media marketing courses, but like they don't teach you copywriting as, a, as mm. the thing. They just teach you content creation. So I wouldn't call myself the best copywriter, but I'm good at writing content. So I don't think I'm against the copywriters. Like, no offense. Like, I am great at my job, but like, they are better. Like, they know all the rules and the stuff. I'm just good at content. <laughs> yeah, I think you can break writing down into two areas. So it's like knowing the rules, like technically to make it good. And maybe that's not like your strong point. But the other half, or maybe the half that I think is more important, is like the way you think. Yeah. And I think if you're like a weird person or like you're, you think weirdly, think differently, then you can write and create awesome stuff. Yeah, that's what I do. I think I just, I'm able to see something works. Okay, how can I replicate this for like a million people? Okay, cool. And then just do it. And you were training the Twitter account at 13. It makes so much sense now because you're basically training at the Olympics, like doing memes on Twitter like 10 years <laughs> ago. And then that's basically what you're doing, obviously with a bit more style maybe on LinkedIn and on Twitter at the moment. Yeah, I literally, I posted on my Instagram today. I was like, my job is literally, I wake up, I go on LinkedIn, I see a meme of myself done by someone else. I laugh at it. And then people enjoy the whole interaction. And then that's it. That's like almost like my day done. And then clients, obviously. But uh, half my job has literally, like the up of me, consisted of me cracking writing content on LinkedIn and then humor. And then from there, like my everything just went up because like community really just enjoyed the memes because LinkedIn is kind of like that. Like there's not enough humor, not enough banter because it's so B2B and so professional that when they see something funny, they're like, oh my God, that's insane. That's just like ridiculous. And I'm like, I'm the funniest person around. But yeah, I love my job so much. That's the other thing that I did 
do you have written here is like humor. I think more on Twitter. That's where you put your funny stuff. So again, I guess that's just because you think differently. You like think weirdly and you can... Yeah, I think every platform is different. Like on Instagram, you're a little bit more bougie. On LinkedIn, you're professional. On Twitter, you're just funny because that's just the culture. And even some of my clients and cohort community members, they're like, guys, you have to go follow Lara on, on Twitter. She's like a completely different person there. You have to follow her on Instagram because she's a completely different person there. And I'm like, yeah, that's actually very true because you just adapt to how people like to consume content. I was actually very against video content on LinkedIn for a while because I just know people don't consume it as much. So I was trying to adapt to that, but now I'm like changing my ways. But Twitter is literally my content dumpster where I just test ideas, see what happens. And then if they work, I repurpose them onto actual content on LinkedIn. If they don't, then that's fine. They're just funny. Yeah, so it's become like a testing round for me. So it's been actually really good to test ideas or like hooks or um, new concepts. I test a lot of video content there before I put it on LinkedIn. So it's been super cool. How much of your time would you say of your working hours do you spend creating stuff, creating content? All day. The whole thing. Yeah, I'm either researching content and then creating it or I'm writing content. Okay. But then you have the whole business side as well. Yeah. So that is just... Okay, so I spent about 80% of my time creating content and 20% client and strategy and stuff like that. But most of the time, I try and aim it for me to prioritize content creation and just ideation because that's what inspires me. If I notice that if there are days where I just do calls, because a lot of solopreneurs do that, do this, where they just have a whole day booked with calls. Like that's their day. They don't have any calls for the week. For me, that day is horrible and I hate my life and it ruins the entire week for me mm. regardless because I just need to be creative at all times otherwise I feel low I think this is the interesting point for the B2B marketers listening is that they're all like struggling to get either themselves or people that they're in their business that are trying to make famous but then I don't think they understand that to get to your level you have to spend 80% of your time well you don't have to but to, to get as good is you need to be, you have to spend a lot more time. Yeah, a lot of people compare their journeys to me. And they're like, oh, she's been doing this for two years and she's already exploded on LinkedIn. I've been doing this since I was like five years old. <laughs> but they don't, it doesn't really count because it wasn't work. It was just me learning it. But in reality, I spend my every single day learning content. Like I consume it like crazy. I literally listen to three podcasts a day. I look at TikTok to analyze it. I look at Instagram sometimes, Twitter all the time, LinkedIn here, calls with clients to ideate, um, looking at pieces of new content written by all of my friends. Like it's just a lot all the time. Consistent consumption is what's made me so good or I guess like ahead of a lot of people just because it's like a consistent content machine you have to create. I love the game. I love content so much. It's my fuel. Can we do a case study, a LinkedIn case study? Of course. So as I mentioned, B2B marketers listening. So it's a B2B SaaS company in the pharmaceutical space. Okay. And the, we're going to take the role of like the B2B marketing manager. And they've been tasked with taking someone within the business and like making them famous on LinkedIn within the pharmaceutical world. Mm -hmm. What's the first thing we need to do? Actually, yeah, I have several clients like B2B in like very boring industries like steel and just random like lawyers and stuff. It doesn't matter what industry you are, B2C, C2C. Like the thing that builds your personal brand, again, it's personal, is your personality. 
people go wrong all the time trying to go in with too much education where it's not even education. It's like very hardcore, badly written piece of content where it's like, it's not even like, here's how to. It's like pharmaceuticals are the most important thing you can find in your entire life. And this excerpt from like this news magazine, that this article that we found from 1997, here's why we think you should care. Sign up below. Who the fuck is going to read that? No one. Even like the most professional people. LinkedIn is a social media platform and they're there to be entertained, inspired or educated. So if you're not managing to get their attention within the first three seconds of doing because you're not doing any of them, they're not going to read it, even though your content might be super interesting and insightful for them. If you're not touching on any of those points that they need to know, like, okay, what's in it for them to read? People think that because they're like in such a niche industry, like education, like super random, like pharmaceuticals, they need to be super professional about it and use jargon, like professional jargon, when in reality, the more simple you make it for someone to learn something, the more they're going to like you. So what we've done for most of my clients in B2B is we've taken the most important parts of the business and we've reverse engineered what the actual value is for someone that they want to read it is. So like, what is a psychological reason why someone wants to read your content? Is it like money? Is it health? Is it fitness? Is it like adding value to their life? And then we start from there. So instead of saying pharmaceuticals are going to change the world, here's why. Be like, this single thing is going to help you live longer. That's 20 times better because you're giving, you're starting with the benefit not with the thing. The thing doesn't sell itself if you don't sell it first with the benefit. But we also need to choose somebody that has like a good personality, right? Maybe we could choose the COO, but he's like super boring. Maybe he's like good at writing, whatever. But then this other person, like the head of sales, is like super interesting and like gregarious and like outgoing. We should choose to build their personal branding. Absolutely, yeah. I think there's an it factor that's necessary. Like you need to have charisma to build a personal brand. That's like a fact. Yeah, it's either there's a million ways to have charisma. You can have like dry charisma, you can have like typical charisma, like celebrities, or you can have very like sarcastic one. But there still needs to be like a thing that makes you shine. Mark Barker used to call himself like the most boring copywriter at the start, like of LinkedIn. But even in that, himself calling himself boring and using depreciating humor, that's still very charismatic. So yeah, 100% you need to have something going on besides the knowledge. But I wouldn't put that much stress on that. As long as you have something that you find super interesting and you're willing to try to explore that as much as you can and try new things, like maybe tell your story a little bit or like tell your experience, that'll work. And then more tactically, are we posting like twice a day? <laughs> no. Twice a day on LinkedIn is crazy. Really? Yeah. That's crazy. But like once a day. Once a day. I post once, like three times a week at this really? point. At one point, I posted five times a week, but right now I don't feel like I want to. Okay, so we're going to start three times a week. We're going to choose the head of sales who's like a bit charismatic. We're going to ensure that when we're talking about anything to do with the product, we're going to be talking about the benefit, not about like what the product does. Right. And then what else do we need to know? You need to know that there is an important factor in a school's leverage. So what's is it about you specifically that's going to bring you the most interest? So again, is it your charisma? Or do you have a lot of contacts in the industry that can immediately like your post as soon as it lands? And then you can get that immediate boost of engagement and then a lot more people see it. Because 
there's this very common LinkedIn rule that you have to spend time engaging on LinkedIn. Otherwise, your post won't pop up. And this is true. But the way you can hack it is if you have a lot of industry connections that will be interested in what you're saying. So like a lot of businesses have the advantage of this because they're all connected with each other in their organizations. Like everyone at certain organization connects with everyone. So if you get everyone in the liking that, then it's an immediate boost. And then like push your post up to the algorithm. It indicates that it's a good post. So how can you create that immediately? How can you pinpoint what's going to work for you? So do you have the connections? Okay, just keep them active. Okay, do you have a very good hook that you can use and someone else like me? I have 100,000 followers on LinkedIn. So if I... I don't think having followers on LinkedIn is a flex, by the way, but okay. But if like only a fraction of my following see me liking that, then that's a massive push for like a single post. We see it all the time with like individual creators where me and like my other two friends will go and like a post that has no likes, we'll come back later and it's got like 500 likes. Just because if you take like like 300,000 followers combined, then even if just a little fraction of that sees it, then it's a push. So what can you leverage in your network? That's the main thing I would focus on. Most. What is your unfair advantage? Finding your unfair advantage is the most important thing you can do when you start building your personal brand. What about format? Because I've seen recently you like writing the post, but then uploading an image that looks like a Twitter post with the post. Is that working right now? So I do it because purely I am very lazy. And I found that images at the moment are performing incredibly well on LinkedIn. Really? So instead of just using a photo of me, which I don't want to use, because I only use them when I'm storytelling. So I don't want to consistently... Yeah, I don't want to make it into an Instagram. Otherwise, I'll be on Instagram. So what I do is I use a writing prompt that is just like a teaser, like a thumbnail for what the post is about. And then it's a two for one. If I'm not getting the writer, the consumer with the text, I'm getting them with the photo. And if I'm not getting them with the photo, I'm getting them with the text. And then it's like a two for one, like they're getting double value for like one post. I guess this comes back to you like spending all your time innovating, investigating. Like, How did you find that formula or did you just test it one day? Yeah, so I saw Justin Walsh doing it. He's amazing and I follow him closely. He's one of the biggest pioneers, I think, for LinkedIn things. Like he was one of the first people I followed and Mark Barker. And I saw them doing it and I saw a, a few other people doing it, the Ben Mir and someone else. And I was like, okay, I'm going to give this a go. And then I did and it didn't do well. <laughs> I was like, okay, this is not going to work for me. Then I did it again, but I iterated the copy. I made it more digestible and consumable for someone to just read. Like I asked myself, and I should have done this at the side. I asked myself, okay, what would I actually like to consume from this photo? It's like just a bite-sized platitude. And then... I didn't want to make my account just platitude-based, like just surface-level content. So I will feed them with the platitude to get them hooked because everybody loves a platitude. What is it? My boys viral post is photo. So it's like, I read 52 books in 52 weeks and I made zero dollars. I read one book in 50, for 52 weeks and I made money. And it's like money. Like, that's literally what it says. And then at the top, there's like a lot of value. Like I broke down Robert Cialdini's influence rules. But that just showed me that people just like the basic stuff mm-hmm. and then the detail. It's like the hook. It's like a double hook. So then I tested it again with that and then went massively viral. What about on the profile itself for this head of sales that we're going to make famous? Do we have anything we should optimize? 
Okay, so for this head of sales... That was like a sigh, like, oh my God, there's a lot to do. There's <laughs> a lot to do. It's not as simple. So we need to optimize his profile first. Like, what is he looking friendly? How can we make him look as, appeal- like, as appealing and interesting as possible? So his headshot needs to be clear, concise, and his face needs to be smiling, at least, to make him more approachable. His banner needs to be clear, like, what is he talking about? It can't be just a logo of the company he's working at. At least, like, make people see what the idea of what he's talking about is. Got it. Okay. That's got to be, like, congruent through the whole process. Yeah, because then if someone goes, if you post a good post and then they come into your profile and they're like, oh, this looks, like, very corporate and boring, they're gonna, like, you know, almost content is like dating. Like, you have to keep on swipe. Like, you need to find the right balance between great content and then attractiveness in the way it looks like we're all humans we're judgy and you want to look your best at all times so your profile is the best way to do that so that's optimized and then the content if you're educating consistently how can you give the most amount of value in the least amount of time so how can you break down something so complicated and make it so simple that someone's gonna be like oh because people love it when you break down things in simple terms it's addictive content because they're like, oh my God, I never thought about it like that. And that's what you want from your customer. Like, oh my God, light bulb moment. And then they'll attribute that learning to you. And that's what you want. That's how you build a community. That's how you build loyal fans. Because you are saying the ideas are already out there, but you're teaching them your way. And then they're like, yeah. So we have to teach them our way of the pharmaceutical industry. Yeah, just make pharmaceuticals fun, entertaining. I think that's a big opportunity because... There's almost like a barrier for B2B people to have like a personality. And so I think this could be a big opportunity for our pharmaceutical company is to make our head of sales like a normal still, person. Still my strategy. I'll send I you know. an invoice. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I think if that everything we need to know for LinkedIn is so we've got post format, post frequency, profile. You said the network thing is probably the most important. Like that's the highest leverage thing to do is work out how we can get other people to... Yeah. If I count, I can count the creators and like with my hand that I started with, I still on LinkedIn. And the only thing we all have in common is that we leverage our network massively. All of us were networking like crazy at the start. This is from when you don't have a network. All of us were like, are in our 20s. We don't have corporate connections on LinkedIn. We don't have anything. So we had to start from like the round up. And the only way you can start building yourself up is by networking a lot and then start climbing the steps to getting to the higher ranks. But it was like, you have to be willing to spend the time or you have to find that one person that's going to make the massive difference. That's going to introduce you to a massive network of people that you can then like connect with and like start networking with like a normal networking event. Then then we'll introduce you to even more opportunities. That's interesting. I didn't realize how important that was. It's incredibly important. I think people forget that LinkedIn is literally a networking platform. <laughs> But you have to like meet them in real life and then you become friends and then you help each other. Yeah, and then well, now it's a lot more easy. Like you don't have to even meet them in real life. You can meet them for a coffee chat on Zoom. And then it's like... So how do you do it? You... Yeah, that's how, literally how I did it. I posted content, people reached out to me. And then I was like, hey, do you want to go on a coffee chat? <laughs> and then they're like, yeah, of course. What, like it's weird as you just said that? Yeah. <laughs> it was like, do you want to go on a... I was like in my laptop in Mexico, like trying to figure out how to do this like networking thing. I didn't know. I didn't know anything. And then that's how I actually met my first mentor. I literally was like, he added me on LinkedIn. And I was like, oh my God, 
you're so big. You're like 20K on LinkedIn. For real. And how many did you have? I had like 10, 12, like 2K followers at the time. He added me and I was like, oh. Really? What could they say? He liked your he liked your post. Yeah, he liked something about it. And um, to be fair, his name is Richard Moore. And he's just very extroverted like that with uh, people. He's just very kind and given. And he added me and I was like, oh my God, thank you for our connecting. Richard. And then you were like, be my mentor. <laughs> No, no, uh, no, actually, no. He just started mentoring me for, for from the kindness we saw. You pay him? No, not all, until I only recently started paying him for coaching. But f- from that, like, he actually just would give me advice. But it started from me being like, I can, would you like to help in mm. a coffee chat? Oh, uh, like, wait, wait, the coffee chat. Yeah, yeah. And then he was like, great. And then from there, he just kept on keeping up with me. And he was just so kind. He gave me all his secrets to the to the trade of the LinkedIn sales game. Real. Applied some of his stuff and uh, it really worked. And then I think he saw how proactive I was with his advice. That he was like... I think that's the key if you get a mentor. It's just like... Just actually acting on it. Yeah. I think it's the biggest compliment you could give someone when they give you advice and you don't waste it. Yes. That's crucial. Even now, like people ask me for advice and I can give them all the tips and all the keys, but they won't apply it. And then they're not going to get more if they don't apply. Yeah, because it's like, I already wasted my time on you, so. How many like mentor coaches do you have? I've had so many, like, even when with fitness, I've always had a fitness coach. So like mentors have always been a massive needle mover for me. So I have my fitness coach still, like someone that I've had for years. I have Richard, I have another one. And I only paid for another, I went into a mastermind style mentorship that's connected me with a lot of like pretty high forming entrepreneurs and that's been amazing for me and my mental health as well and like just business so I have a lot of mentors just because I feel like being surrounded by a players makes you one you're like 26 now is that right yes yeah so young really? I feel old really yeah YouTube how, how are we doing that just started yesterday yes uh, we're gonna link to that video wherever it is subscribe and so is that just because we have Instagram Twitter, LinkedIn, TikTok? Newsletter. Newsletter, yeah, okay. And then, so is the idea between, or like, what's the strategy? Like, why bother investing in YouTube when you have these three social platforms and the newsletter? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I don't know. I have like this rule and I'm literally breaking it. I was like, focus on one platform at a time. Like, I always tell people off. They're like, what is like your multi-channel strategy? If you asked me like six months ago, be like, just LinkedIn. And now I have, newsletter, LinkedIn, Twitter, and now YouTube. And then I'm trying to do a million other things. And I'm just like, oh, I feel like that's just opportunity for me to just grow on all of them right now. I've already grown on LinkedIn to 100k plus. Then on Twitter, I have 10k plus. So now I think I, and on newsletter, I have 10k plus. So I think that's like the line for me to just add another network. I have a very strong network here on LinkedIn. And then it's just funneling everyone to the other ones. And now YouTube just seems like the most natural transition for me. And I also, I saw one of my friends starting a YouTube. And then I was like, oh. <laughs> I, I, was, I was getting jealous. And I was like, why is he doing it? And I'm not doing it. How long do you reckon you give yourself until 10K subscribers? I don't know. Three days? <laughs> Have you posted about on LinkedIn? 24 hours. Did you post? Yeah, I posted. Did you just say follow me on? I posted a little teaser where it was yeah. like a, a story. I always try and lead every single post I post with a value mm. rather than promotion. I think nice. that's what's kept my community so strong that I never direct cold sell them anything. 
I just sort of try and inspire them and then come and follow the journey if you want. It's also a way to, to convert more, right? And then like if you, you can lead people in, they're like, oh, it's a story. And then you get them like bought in. It's just, yeah, more emotionally invested in you. And then the more emotionally invested in you, the more likely they are to return as customers. So yeah, 100%. Can it's you okay. tell a YouTube story? Can I tell a YouTube story? No, the, the post that you did about... Oh, yeah. I think it's like, I just posted my first LinkedIn post today. This is the most important day of my life. And it's like... Oh, I, well, then that was a hook. Yeah. The most important day of my life. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, I literally cried. Okay. And then it was like... This was yesterday. Yeah, this was yesterday. It's like, at 15, I got my... I think I started my YouTube channel at 16. I learned how to edit. Oh, I bet this performed well. Yeah, it did well. How many likes? It's 1,500. Okay. it's okay standard right it's alright yeah it was what I was like I'm joking and then I went and broke down why I was starting a YouTube channel rather than keeping on with the story I just gave them a little teaser I call this like the slaying framework where I start with a story lead with a lesson then give actionable advice and then end with a you oh nice that's my framework it works really well because it makes people invested then they still feel like they're getting some value and then you turn it onto them, onto, okay, how does this relate to me? I'm using emotional language to sort of connect with them. So it's less about me and more about them. So then the community aspect, again, is like very important. It's like, I'm not just doing it myself. You're doing it with me. Like we're all in this together, sort of like style. I love this kind of dark influence, influence stuff. It's not dark. I feel like that's everything I do is inspired by people I used to follow on YouTube. So I want to give people the same feeling that my favorite influencers gave me. When I, I was lonely and a child, like trying to find some sort of comfort. So yeah, I'm like, we're besties, you and, and me. The YouTube content strategy, are going to be, are you going to talk about similar things, but yeah. just in a different format? Yeah, the plan is to repurpose a lot of my LinkedIn content that's already performed well, that's already proven content. So I think and then like every the video right? yes yeah so repurposing now is incredibly easy because I have the proven content is tested in two platforms three platforms even so now I can just take it turn it into a long form script and then turn it into a YouTube video which is a lot easier than if I was starting from scratch with no copywriting or like viral content experience your unfair advantage My unfair. in your own words yes what happens in the future? Do you think you just get bigger and bigger and then you're going to be like on TV? You think that's the trajectory? I want to dominate the world. Mm. Yeah. That's, I want to turn my LinkedIn into a massive cult following and make everyone... Follow you. Like, they'll just be walking around. You'll be walking down the street. They'll just be following you. Channel. No, I think my main here, like, vision is to help as many people as possible build a personal brand because I know how impactful has been for me from being so sad at one point, feeling so lost to now being able to build myself up from the round up just because of social media and just because I decided to actually take action and share my thoughts online. That is so powerful. And I wish my younger self would have known that, that that's okay. Like there's people that would like her for who she is and like her very niche, nerdy interests like YouTube for hours and like looking at creators and studying marketing like that's fine if you want to do that just do it there's a place for you on the internet and the internet's so magical so my purpose here is to let people know that they can just build the life of their dreams the moment they decide they want to change like if you don't like yourself change literally that's the only thing you need to do Laura so many learnings I've got a couple here 
I think the maybe the biggest one is like you like see your posts and see your tweets and they perform really well and you're like maybe I'm just getting lucky or whatever, but it really isn't like you've been iterating on this for like ten years, more than that maybe. And almost it might not maybe not everything is planned, but everything is just quite like well done or strategic and to get to this to your level, that's what you have to do. And so that's a big insight for me. Thank you. I still feel like I don't know what I'm doing half of the time. <laughs> well, seems to be working well. Then the other point was the importance of network. If you're like trying to build an audience, obviously building relationships with other people that have an audience is like a good strategy. These are the two big insights. Thank you so much for joining. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. All right, team. How about that? Did that unlock some wisdom for you? Is that going to help you? blow up either your profile or your CEO's profile or someone else's profile on your team. This is something that I've been talking a lot about recently is I think the new way or the plan as I'm calling it, the opportunity right now really sits within building the personal brand of people within your B2B business. So we find one, we define a spicy narrative, we choose the right person, then we build content organically, we use paid to amplify that organic content, and then we drive people into the email or down to the podcast where we really build the relationship. And that's what I think is gonna be massive in 2024. I'll link below to a LinkedIn post I did that goes into much detail on each of those steps. And also, if you like the plan, uh, I think it's gonna work for your business, but don't want to or don't have the knowledge to execute, then of course, fame will be able to help you with that just go to fame.so request a proposal of course thank you so much to lara for being so generous with her wisdom thank you to fame for sponsoring and then also thanks to you for listening